Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the Outkick network, this is Outkick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Second hour is here. Glad you're with us. Friday edition, Outkick 360 across the Outkick network. We say hello to everyone listening on Sports Radio 104.7 across the Upper Cumberland, Fox Sports Shoals, Muscle Shoals, Alabama, Huntsville, and in Florence. Great friends there. And Somo Sports Radio in Missouri. Hope you'll follow us and reach out on social media at Outkick 360. Guys, next week we will be in Los Angeles. And with that in mind, as we get ready for Super Bowl 56, some some big questions to ponder as we start to preview these games. And let's just start with what the Bengals are, are capable of doing now. I think the most fascinating question to me is, what if Cincinnati wins? Because I still think if you look at what they've done, they feel like they're a year ahead of where they should be. They don't have a very good offensive line. That was something they're going to have to address and will address this offseason. They have Joe Burrow in year two coming off an ACL who has already won the AFC and is leading his team to, again, hypothetically here, winning the Super Bowl. They have Jamar Chase on a rookie deal. They have Burrow on his rookie contract. Very uh, inexpensive superstars right now. What, What could be with this franchise over the next, let's say, three or four years, where are the Bengals by 2024 if they win on Sunday against the Rams? I think the expectations should be the same as when Kansas City won a couple years ago against the 49ers uh, in that Super Bowl. I I think really the only difference is that Kansas City rise we saw the year before where they lost the Patriots in the playoffs in a home game. And so there was a little bit more body of work where they were, you know, they had the, the playoff experience before. The Cincinnati story is just so out of nowhere. In year two for Burrow, they go from terrible to Super Bowl in one year. So does that lessen some of the expectations for where the franchise could go? Uh, could it be a dynasty the way we were talking about? Hey, Kansas City's going to have a chance at a dynasty. It hasn't delivered on that so far. They've been obviously relevant every year, but I really think the expectation should be near Kansas City level if they're able to win the Super Bowl in year two for Joe Burrow. I think we have this conversation and anytime somebody wins, we're presuming a, Kansas, a Cincinnati win here. We have this conversation every time a team breaks through and wins. Seattle won, right, with Russell Wilson. And they were destined to win a couple. Now, they didn't win when they called a bad play at the goal Should line. Should have won two in a row. And turned Malcolm Butler into a hero. But then they disappeared, and they, they, they didn't win. The greatest show on turf was a team that had to win more than one. I've been part of electing a bunch of guys from that team to the Hall of Fame, and they only got but, one. I, there's a but here. 
they had to go through Brady, both of those teams you're talking about, to win more than one. Right. And to me, the Bengals are the Buffalo Bills, except they've already they they beat Kansas City at Arrowhead. The Bills have not done that. And here's Cincinnati not being mentioned in the same conversation as the the next big team. I think we all look to Buffalo to be the next Cincinnati or the next Kansas City. But to me, the Bengals, if you say they're actually a year ahead, if you agree, and I think Paul, you do. If that's true and they address their offensive line issues, they can absolutely be the team to go through. They could. But, I mean, the 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 Bears, 85 Bears were supposed to be the team to go through. Historically, the, the odds are you don't turn into the dynasty as opposed to well, you do. Well, again, not dynasty, but the team you have to Multiple go through. Multiple winner, yeah. Kansas City's still that team. Yeah, but if Cincinnati, after going through them to win the Super, I mean, they're absolutely in that conversation immediately. Oh, absolutely, for me. and they and they they you know you would expect them to win a couple in uh, the Burrow era, but again, but I, you you expected that from from Favre, you expected it from Rodgers, and it has it hasn't happened. But the difference is Favre and Rodgers are the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers. We're talking about the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah, the lowly who, Bengals. Who three weeks ago hadn't won since the '80s in the postseason. Yeah, I mean he's th- this is certainly the start. Uh, never set the Super Bowl wins right. aside. Certainly the start of what should be a glory era for well, the Cincinnati Bengals being in contention. Here's how I would equate it. You knew that Peyton Manning was going to have to go through Tom Brady and the Patriots to win a Super Bowl with Indianapolis. It took him till 2006. That season, that breakthrough down 21 to three, comes from behind, beats the Patriots, goes on, beats the Bears in the Super Bowl. You knew coming into this season, we've said it all year, it goes through KC until proven otherwise. Burrow's done that in year two already. He went to Arrowhead, won. If they go and win the Super Bowl, who do you have to go through? In the AFC now. Josh Allen hasn't done it yet. As great as Josh Allen is. Um, you, uh, the difference to me is it's not just Brady. It's this three-headed monster now of roster set up to be great for a, a while. You think. Yeah. Things change quickly. But it's not just the Patriots and it's not just Peyton Manning trying to get over the hump and beat Tom Brady. It's Burrow's already done it. Mahomes has reached the mountaintop. Burrow has a chance now to do it. Josh Allen hasn't done it, and those are the three front runners. and it's this spinning wheel every year of, well, who's the team to beat now? That's the difference, but to me, the expectation is what the expectation was for Mahomes. Win multiple Super Bowls. Mahomes hasn't done it yet, but if they win this year, I'm expecting Cincinnati not just to win one with Joe Burrow. I also think there are more factors. Like, I don't know that it's going to be through the same team every year, you know? How well does Josh McDaniels do with the Raiders? And how tough does Kansas City's division get? How does Mac Jones develop in New England? And what does that do to to the Bills? Who does Pittsburgh find to replace Ben Roethlisberger? And how much does does Pittsburgh become a factor? Or how much do they bottom out as Cincinnati tries to, to... Who has the easiest path? Who wins home field advantage? Not that that was a factor this time around. But all of these things in their independent divisions become factors in their paths to easier, quote-unquote, easier paths to get to the championship. Speaking of paths, uh, vastly different paths comparing the Bengals to the Rams. 
With the way the Rams have approached this season, the, I call it chips in the middle of the table, the all-in approach where they've bypassed draft picks for veterans. The go-for-it mentality. If they win over Cincinnati, do you guys think it changes the in the copycat league the approach to the draft? Are we overvaluing draft picks after year after year being told that draft capital is is so much more valuable than the free agent market. I think it should change it more, but I think there's a second stage to it. I, I think you should look at it and say, you know what? This veteran could really help us. He's available, and he's worth the picks. Now the next stage is I got to finagle the cap like these teams have finagled the cap. And so there's, a, there's such an uh, institutional value on the draft picks does that start to change? I think yes. There's also this institutional fear, not everywhere, of dealing with the cap and the cap and pushing numbers back on the cap and looking at your cap two years from now and being really scared of what your cap looks from two years from now. You also have to get past that and understand, yeah, it's going to be bad and we're going to have to manipulate it and there's going to have to be some, uh, some, some dread and some reckoning and all of that. You get to stage two, you say, we're throwing it all in and we're going to create a window for ourselves here and we'll reckon. Saints have seemed to reckon and they've been on that list and they're not at a point now where all is lost. There's, there are things they have to deal with and teams are dealing with those things. So it's a two-pronged attack to me. But if the Rams win this, they show you can do it. And I don't think you're going to say, uh, two years from now, the Rams are going to be absolutely terrible. Or if they are, what uh, I know maybe, maybe I, I can't imagine that GMs and coaches don't think like fans and say, if I could win one this year, I'll take whatever the consequences are two years from now. So this is going to sound crazy what I say, so bear with me okay. here. Um, the NFL overvalues first round picks. And, and here's what I mean by that. If you are a GM who's been at all successful drafting in the first round, you should build your team to the point where you can pull off a Rams situation and go for it and mortgage a little bit of the future with first-round picks because you've done well with a couple first-round picks and the great teams, they do well rounds two through five. Cooper Cup's not a first-round pick is a great example. Um, we're here in Nashville. Titans have not been good in the first round. They've been good with A.J. Brown in the second round. They've been good with Kevin Byard in the third round so on and so forth. So they've made hay in the later rounds, in the mid-rounds. If you've done that, then I think some GMs will then overvalue future first-round picks. When you get to the precipice of greatness, I think teams can overvalue first-round picks. And, and that's what the Rams have shown. That's what I think other GMs should show, that it's okay to give away a couple of first-round picks in the future if you feel like you can make a move to get someone to get you to the Super Bowl immediately because you've done well in the middle rounds. But I think, you know, it, one hand goes in front of the other. You got to have a couple successful first round picks as you're building. Then you got to do really well in the middle rounds. And then once you get to that point, teams can't overvalue first round picks in the future. And I don't think they should. And I think the Rams are showing the route to how you can win quickly by not caring as much about those first round picks. My, in thinking about this, my answer is it. I think we will see more copycats to the Rams for the halves 
but not the have-nots. Like Cincinnati, they're on this run, and it's perfect for their organization because, again, they've got the rookie contract for both their quarterback and their star wide receiver. The Rams and their ownership are willing to spend big-time money. They're in the, the spotlight and the bright lights of Hollywood. They need a winner as they open up their stadium to fans for the first time. So they're all in, and they've got the coach that's has the job security to make the trade that he did dealing the quarterback that got him to his first Super Bowl in exchange for a guy that can actually win him one. I don't know if every organization can follow suit based on the money and the expense of making that happen with the top veteran contracts. But, I mean, I'm thinking of Dallas, Miami, some of the the spotlight franchises. Absolutely, they can follow suit to what the Rams have done. Yeah, one connection to what you just said there, how liquid are you? Yeah, yeah. If you've got all those veteran contracts, you're paying a lot more liquid right now than you are if, now, if you have a future. regular spreadsheet where you have this many veterans who are expensive right now, you have this many middling guys, you have this many rookie contracts that you're counting on. As we look at both of these teams, does it change your your mindset on how to go about winning a Super Bowl? No. Um, I, I think – when I look at the makeup of the teams, doesn't change my mindset on what you need in order to win a Super Bowl. Uh, when I look at the routes they went to get there, much like the previous question with the Rams, changes my thinking on that. Um, you know, the one thing I'll throw out is clear-cut, really good to great quarterback, and truly great wide receiver option number one. Uh, I think Cincinnati has that with Burrow and Chase, and I know the Rams have that with Stafford and Cup right now. I think that that's one that I look for with this matchup that it shows me that I'll, you look for with every team. HUD, you brought up the point earlier in comparison with the Titans. You know, It was always quarterback receiver with every team, and then the Titans were the one outlier with yep. the running back. You thought of first, yep. but I really look at that now with both these teams. I think more playmakers can't have enough playmakers. You say that now the way you used to say it, and still say it about pass rushers, about corners. Um, can't have enough playmakers. And the quarterback, you know, it's become popular in some of the analytics community to call sacks a quarterback stat. And I think that is becoming truer. Not that terrible pass protection is on the quarterback, but that a quarterback, look at what Burrow did from the Titans playoff game where he got sacked nine times to the Kansas City playoff game where he got sacked once. Did they make adjustments and play better? Yeah. Did Joe Burrow do a hell of a lot to avoid getting sacked? Yes. And then I thought Willie Anderson posed it very smartly to us. There are going to be 15 to 17 plays where he gets good pass protection. What does he do with those 15 to 17 plays? If he's great on those 15 to 17 plays, guess what? You can win a Super Bowl on those 15 to 17 plays. So are we overvaluing having a great offensive line as long as he's not getting killed? Maybe. The reason I ask this question. Because they chose the weapon over the protection, and every single one of us thinks they made the right move in Jamar Chase over Panay Sewell. Here is where the weapons are overlooked. Both of these teams drafted their kicker in the fifth round, and both of these teams are in the they're in the Super Bowl on kicks. You're absolutely right. A lot of times teams just brush that position under the rug and they go with the hot hand and they'll rotate through three or four kickers if they have to to get through the season. 
these teams invested in that position for points on the board, and those points are the difference in why they're playing for the Lombardi They have trophy. no doubt about sending the guy out there. None. From 55, from 53, from whatever. McPherson, in- I mean, he was drafted in the fifth round last year, and he is 12 for 12 in the postseason. Adam Vinatieri is the only kicker uh, that is ahead of him in field goal makes for a playoff run. He had 14 kicks made in 2006. This guy can break that record on Sunday. And then you have Matt Gay, who's also good from you know long distance. He's missed two this postseason, but he's good from long distance throughout the year. To, that's where the mentality for me has changed. I'm more willing to invest in the kicker and the leg with a surefire guy who's going to be good from 50-plus than the teams that are just struggling to find points and make extra points. It's a great point because that is a position that's now at a premium. You know, for years we thought, man, they're, they're, if you get one of those jobs, you're in it for life. There are 32 great kickers, and they're all kind of the same. You know, a couple may rise above the rest. But now we're in a situation where to find a uh, mentality like Evan McPherson that's fearless and cocky as a, as a kicker, that's rare. So he, if he you find that guy and you feel Burrow. like you got it, draft him. He has Burrow's mentality at the kicker right. position. I mean, he's, he's that guy, <laughs> right? He's that dude. Out yeah. there, he's he's bragging about we're going to go to the next round. We're going to the Super Bowl before he attempts the kick. That's to me it, it, in a position that features a lot of head cases. Quite frankly, when once they miss, it throws everything off. It's rare to find that type of mentality in a kicker. And when you can you you see it in the draft process, go draft the guy. He may I do have, feel different about that. He now. may have his day where you know the one miss sure. leads to, but he ain't having it right now. No. Nope, and the defense is the last two wins. The defense has had to take away to set up McPherson's field goal for the win as time expired. Both of these teams have played in three playoff games to get to Los Angeles and SoFi Stadium to play for the Lombardi Trophy. The Bengals, uh, three games in the postseason, their last week off was in week 10. The Rams' last week off was week 11. But yet, here they are. I mean, it's been a while since they've had a week of rest until. Uh, this past week leading up to the game. Have we overvalued the concept of the top seed? When you watch how these teams are have the hot hand, and it's the first time that both teams that have reached the Super Bowl have not had the benefit of a week off. The first time both teams have had to play from wildcard weekend on. I'm not going to say that we've, just because this happened once, I'm not going to say we've overvalued rest and getting the bye. I think that's still important. And there used to be twice as many chances to have a rest as there is now. I do think, though, that we've undervalued the momentum of continuing to play. Especially when you're not resting guys that last week and you continue to play and have the same schedule. If you're a team that's got some momentum and got some rhythm, I think we undervalued the, the, the benefit to that with these teams. Cincinnati, L.A. I know L.A. lost the last game of the regular season against San Francisco. Um, but I do think that we maybe undervalued the rhythm element of it with the team that doesn't have the bye. I think that's fair. Look, I, the I rhythm mean, is going to get you. It's also Gloria Estefan once more. They also have the 17th game now to factor in. But we haven't seen the wear down effect on either of these rosters. Yeah, look... I mean, the rest factor is nice. Really, it's about how healthy are you, right? Are you missing a key guy? You know, the Rams made it through their first playoff game without Whitworth, right? Yep. Um, but who, who are the keys? The injury reports are short. Um, and is, is anybody 
Chase is there. Burrow's there. Higgins is there. And now the tight end's out, you know, and he may miss the Super Bowl, and that would hurt if, if they don't have him. They're going to have to game plan around missing him. But, the, you know, the, the, Rams, the, the Rams were without Akers for a while with the Achilles, and then he's back, you know, and he's, he's a big reason. He, he helped propel them. Right, but he's back for the, for, the, for the playoffs. He's been yeah. back and helped. But we also saw, saw a couple teams get players back for the playoffs, and it, and it not, not work. Help. That's right, um, including teams that had the week off. Yeah, so really, it's a, it's a case-by-case thing. Um, you know, I think every coach in the league, though, and we've agreed on this, would take uh, you know, a late buy or a late mini-buy or first-round playoff buy. But this year, certainly, it hasn't helped. And it's an outlier now. You're the only team with one if you get the, the you know, uh, we saw the Titans and the Packers go out quick, and they were the only teams with the bye. So the number two seed is playing, and you're going to be an outlier. And if we see the outlier lose first, second, second round, it's it's going to become a big conversation point. If anything, everybody's going to say, "Yeah, I want that time off." And if we watch that team lose, we're gonna we're gonna come back and say, "Do you want that time? You off? You want the time off?" But what it do does is it removes the excuse of not having the time off from what we've seen recently, especially through the AFC. It's going to be a great matchup between the Rams and the Bengals uh, coming up in Super Bowl 56. We'll touch a bit on this game with Bobby Carpenter. There's some college football news as well in the college coaching circles. Brian Harson and Jim Harbaugh, who's now back at Michigan as the Wolverines coach. We'll get Bobby Car- Carpenter's take on all of that when we return. He's next on OutKick 360. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer. With over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros, Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network. Sixth and Peabody, our location. Yeehaw Beer, Old Smoky Moonshine. Crew's all here. And on Fridays at this time, the crew includes Bobby Carpenter from Outkick.com, college football contributor, and let's face it, football contributor in general. Bobby, great to see you, man. Hope you're doing well. Oh, I'm doing well. I mean, the Midwest, you know, if you're north of I-70, got really pounded with snow and ice. So it's been a little bit rough here over the last couple of days. But, you know, what are you going to do? 
It's heading into the weekend. It's the last uh, weekend we have before the Super Bowl. And then, uh, guys, we have to go through that drought where we get to watch some school stuff, the draft. You know, you get to watch the combine, some different things like that. But it's the last real football activity, at least until we get to spring ball, which usually starts picking up mid-March and April. You get to choose here. You want to start with Harbaugh or Harson? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Spin the wheel. I mean, you you figure out, I guess, which school you would least likely <laughs> rather be at this point. Well, let's I think start, it would be let's start with let's start with Harbaugh, uh, because north of I seventy. Let's okay. let's go with that route since you were talking about that one. Uh, limping back to Ann Arbor after not getting the Vikings job, I thought he put on a good face in his interview with the Detroit Free uh, Free Press that he just owned it and said, I, I really wanted this opportunity. And then after basically getting up there and finding out that I you know, didn't necessarily have the job, I decided I was going to go back to Michigan and fully commit here, and I'm, I'm here for the rest of my life uh, at this point. Um, I thought he saved face a little, but it's a tough look, Bobby, uh, when you knowingly go and interview for a job and you want to leave, and then you have to limp back to that job and let your fans know, yeah, I didn't get the NFL gig, so I guess I'll stay here. You know what's interesting about Jim Harbaugh is, you know, his tenure at Michigan, you could say he brought them back to a level of national prominence, even before, you know, beating Ohio State this year, make, winning the Big Ten, getting to the CFP. Like, he had put them on a level where they were kind of getting restored. He had a number of 10-win seasons already. And so you, you felt like he was in a good place. He just didn't have that cherry on top of the Sunday, which he finally got this year. Like, make no mistake about it, gentlemen. Like, he's wanted to go back to the NFL. If it wasn't for the fact that him and Trent Baalke, you know, couldn't get along, I think he would have loved to have stayed in the NFL, loved to continue with the San Francisco 49ers. But for the last couple of seasons, he's been sniffing around jobs, and he's been looking. And I give Jim Harbaugh credit for this. There's a lot of people, man, in this world who, when they have a job, and you see this in coaching all the time, they will deny and sometimes flat out lie or avoid telling the truth about what their true intentions are. Like Jim Harbaugh openly said at a recruit's house a month ago, he would entertain NFL opportunities should they provide themselves. Like I respected his candid, candor and honesty. The fact that he went up there, thought he had the job, was going for it. You know, and he kind of comes limping back a little bit, tail between his legs. And so we kind of put all this on Jim Harbaugh. But I want you to think about this. And, and look at Michigan, which you would have to, most people would argue, is it's a top 10 job in the country. It's one of the more proud programs you're going to find. Yeah, it's been kind of a rough 15, 20 years, but still, like, it's got a very recognizable helmet. It's got a huge brand. It has a huge following. The fact that their coach for the last month, and maybe even longer, has been really actively pursuing other jobs and kind of being open and honest about it, and as a fan base and as uh, an athletic director in Ward Manual, you, he just sat there and let him go and explore. And this isn't something that was happening in December where you would have been on the front end or right at the hiring cycle period. This is happening right now in, in late January, early February. And so, like, where are your stones as a program to be like, hey, this isn't right? You know, like, imagine if on your anniversary, guys, I mean, your wife's going to go take a Tinder date and be like, all right, the next day come home, like, hey, it's all good. You know, <laughs> don't worry about it. Like, it was National Signing Day. I know it's lost some of its prominence, but on National Signing Day, you're up interviewing with a, for another job, and, like, nobody thinks that that's weird, and we're not going to discuss that. And then they just, hey, you know what? All's well that ends well. Come on back home, Jim. You know, we appreciate you being here and everything that you've done. Like, 
I can't imagine like it was, this is where he went to school. He, he's an alumnus. And for him to do this and kind of make it so publicly and kind of flaunt it, like he's a different cat, but I just can't imagine how as a fan you're looking and be like, are, are we really doing this guys? Like, can't we find somebody else? I know he's great. I know he went to school here, but we're just going to allow him to treat us like this as a university and openly interview and talk to other people. And we're just going to sit here and be like, Hey, you know what, man, whenever you come back, we're going to welcome you with open arms and to steal a line from Jim Harbaugh. We, we move onward with humble hearts. So he told some <laughs> of those families like, Hey, my, I, I just, it, I, I got to go win a Super Bowl. Then he comes back and he goes, you know what? The Vikings were one off. I'm, I'm never chasing an NFL job again. So, I mean, I, I, how could he come back and say that and have any credibility? He had the eighth-ranked recruiting class in college football this year. It wasn't like it, it hurt him significantly in recruiting. It's been as good or better than it's ever been. But I'm with you. That's the argument is, well, now I'm done. Well, what do you mean now you're done? You've talked about having this burning desire to see if you can still have success and win a Super Bowl. And maybe this was his last great chance to do this with all the success he had this year. But if you're telling me that next year there isn't an NFL team that comes calling that says, hey, we want to give you a shot, Jim, and we think that you're our guy. You're telling me that he's going to turn it down? There's no way. No way. If Matt Rule leaves the Carolina Panthers and they call him up and Tepper's like, hey, Jim, we want you to be our guy. I'll do it for five bucks. I'll do it for whatever. It doesn't matter. I guarantee you he would take that. So he can sit here and say this. I think he's putting that out there because he believes this was probably his last best opportunity. But I, I can't honestly take him at his word the fact that if there's another job that actually materialized and was offered to him next year, that he would realistically turn it down. I don't think this is a reason for Harbaugh's flirtation with the NFL, uh, but you, Kirby Smart and some other coaches were talking about with NIL and the way the game is going, you're going to lose a lot of good men and good coaches to the NFL because they just don't want to deal with it. And most coaches don't want to deal with it. They don't like the direction the game is going. So I guess my question for you, Bobby, is would coaches legitimately take, let's say, because the money's there in college football, would a good college football head coach take a 2 or $3 million pay decrease to go to the NFL and be football all the time and not worry about NIL, not worry about recruiting, not worrying about that part of it, and having more of a life? Are coaches willing to do that, or does the dollar ultimately win no matter what? So it's a big question right there, because I think it's going to be different for every person. Like you're asking then, like, what's your why? But I will tell you this, like there will be a, a large number of coaches who don't want to deal with this because that's why they got into college and not into the NFL, because we don't have to deal with guys, you know, in their finances and cap structure, guys making money and appearances in the locker room. You know, it's not as tight in the NFL as it is in college. And so you see guys get in there because part of it is, and it's corny as, you know, it sounds, and as much as we kind of laugh it off, you know, when Dabo Sweeney or Nick Saban or, or some of these guys talk about it, the development and kind of molding of young men, I do think that they enjoy getting 17 and 18 year old young men and then watching them grow and mature into men and hopefully adding some degree of accountability and instilling in them some work ethic and some other things and being a part of that. And I don't know if you're going to truly have that anymore. And during that process, being able to coach them hard. So I do think that there will be an exodus where if guys after a year, two, three, four years of this, they start to get burnt out. Like if I, if I want to deal with this stuff, I can just go to the next level. The only difference is 
is we watched what nine of the 32 jobs come open, I believe this year is the fact that in the NFL, it's tough to stay at the same place. You get, if you got a big time job in college football and you're doing some good things, like a lot of times you can stay there for 10 years and you look at Jim Harbaugh, heck, you know, he's been successful, successful, but you wouldn't say he's been to the pinnacle, but they, they love to have him there. They're going to keep him there. He's getting compensated really, really well. And so that's the difference. I think in the NFL, all of a sudden you're doing some good stuff. You have a down year or two, your roster starts getting old. And then you all of a sudden, like you're like Doug Peterson, you get fired in Philadelphia, you know, handful of years after winning the Super Bowl. Like it's, it's kind of mind blowing. So that's the only deterrent I could see potentially happening. But I do think you will see guys probably after a couple of years, if they don't start putting some guardrails, not just on the NIL, but also on like transfer portal, when it can happen, the roster management system, because it becomes an all encompassing life job. When you're a college football coach, that is a 24 seven job. You're essential personnel all the time. In the NFL, you can shut that stuff off for a couple months in the winter, maybe a month and a half in the summer, and you're not babysitting these guys after they leave work. Bobby, it's um, it's February. Brian Harson's on vacation, and there's turmoil on the planes. It sounds like he's on his way out. That's a, a bad combination given the time of year and the fact that he's not even in town. And there are he's rumors. not in the country. Yeah, right. Yeah, he's he's on vacation, and he's the rumors are swirling that he's not going to have a job when he returns to the States. Yeah, it's, uh, the, I've been enjoying following this. And first, it's like, all right, you lose Derek Mason, your defensive coordinator, your offensive coordinator, he leaves a little bit later. Like, all right, he's trying to separate him. It's not you know, mutually connected events. But I will tell you this, gentlemen, whenever you start seeing things like this happen and you know the old adage you know, where there's smoke, there's fire, like people internally see things happening and they see the writing on the wall. And, hey, if there's a time for me to go, and I don't think this ship is going to be uh, sailing very much longer. And I have another decent ship to get on. I may want to get on that thing and find a way over there. And I think that we started to see, you know, inklings of that. It was a unique hire when they brought Brian Harson in. He's a Northwest guy. And you always wonder from like, when you bring guys from a different region of the country, that isn't really football heavy and football specific into an area where that's what they care about 24 seven. Every single day, you got to live it, eat it, and breathe it. There's a lot of pressure that comes with it. There's a lot of expectation that comes with it. Recruiting is tough, and you have got to develop those relationships in a hurry. And I don't. And sometimes there, there's even cultural barriers that have to be overcome. And you know, Horst had really no experience in the southeastern part of the country, not not anything of significance. And then you start throwing in some, you know, potential staffer situations where he's got allegations of this and there's tweets floating around of the young lady. I'm like, Oh my, like this is accelerating in a hurry. And the, here's the thing. If you're Auburn, what do you do? Because like I just said about Jim Harbaugh, we're already in the first week of February. It is past national signing day. Like any, the coaching carousel for the most part has kind of stopped. So where are you going to turn and look? There's, I don't know of any other great coaches that are out there. that are going to look at this job down be like, well, this is a sub 500 Auburn team. This place is a little bit of a mess right now. It didn't have the best recruiting class you're going to find. You know, the NIL stuff coming up, they're at a little bit of a disadvantage relative to some of the other schools, especially in the West. Like, I don't know if it's the greatest job. You're taking it late, and it's, it, it's a really difficult situation. So if they choose to move on from him, heck, 
you know, they're still paying Malzahn a little bit. They, I believe there's, they'd have to pay Arsenal. Those are big checks they'd have to write all while trying to help create, you know, NIL opportunities and everything else right now. Like it, it's a bad time to be you know, an Auburn football fan trying to figure out what the heck your 2022 season is going to look like. Bobby Carpenter with us, outkick.com. Bobby, final two minutes of our, our visit here. Uh, you, you played in the NFL with the Cowboys and, and multiple organizations. Uh, as a part of the Brian Flores uh, lawsuit and accusations, comes the nugget that down in South Florida, he was offered the opportunity to pay to lose. Were you ever on a team where you felt like the coach or the organization really didn't want to win down the stretch? It was amazing, gentlemen. I was only on one losing team in my seven years, and that was the 2010, uh, 2010 Lions. It was early in Stafford's career. He had gotten beaten up. Uh, you know, he was out. We were starting Sean Hill, Drew uh, Stanton at the end of the season. And we were 2-10 and 10 with four games remaining. And I specifically remember uh, our head coach, Jim Schwartz at the time, coming in there and being like, listen, guys, you know, we went from 0-16 to 2-14. We're 2-10 and 10 right now. This is momentum for us moving on into the next season. And he's like, I want to treat this like a playoff run. And we had some older veterans who, you know, were kind of getting soured on it a little bit. We had some guys who were all in and they were true pros and they were still preparing, but it was really to kind of prepare the young guys. And we we're starting to get a decent nucleus together. And we didn't have Stafford, who obviously I've, I've been championing for the last 10 years. I mean, he's a great quarterback. and We're finally getting to see it. He's out. Still had Calvin. And we ended up going 4 no. He goes, but this is what you have to do down the stretch. Like, it could have been easy to say, hey, we're 2-10. and 10. Guys, just try to get through the season healthy. And the message coming from above is we'll get another high draft pick. It'll help us. We went from, you know, two and 10 to six and 10. And then the next year, we went like our first five or six games, and we ultimately go 10 and six and make the playoffs. And so that's going from 0 and 16 to 10 and six over a four year period. And I, I hear the allegations of that. I can't imagine that someone would say, I'll actually compensate you to lose. I, I mean, any owner, like, hey, we're going to get young. We're not going to bring in free agents. Like Hugh Jackson's like, like, Oh wait, we, we were the youngest team in the NFL. We didn't try to sign anybody. Yeah, no doubt. But that's how it works. Like you strip a team down, you get in a good calorie salary cap situation. Then you build from within, then you add veteran pieces as you get better. Like everybody knows, you know, the plan it's just, can you execute it? And can you find the right guys? But I've never even heard of something like that where an owner wouldn't believe me. This is the thing the NFL is worried about more than ever, gentlemen, because as we sit here and talk about spreads and betting lines and everything else, the integrity of the NFL of people trying to win has never been in question. I'll tell you this, players, it's too hard to go out there and play and not try to win because guys will get hurt. It's not like the NBA where you can kind of jog, go through the motions. If you're jogging on a football field, you're going to get your tail knocked off. Like you have to play hard or you will get hurt or you will get embarrassed in a physical way. And it does not feel good and it's not great. And so it's never going to be on the players. Coaches know how hard it is to go. Cause if you get a bad reputation somewhere, you might not get another job. And so for the fact that like the allegations from an owner, ah, I don't know if that could truly happen. Maybe I, I don't foresee it happening. I definitely don't foresee the fact that it would have happened in writing or anything that could have been documented in Miami, like there's no way that that would have been the case, but I, I just don't see it. But the NFL's they've got to be worried about this because it's like I said, the proliferation of gambling, gentlemen, the integrity of the game and the, the belief that people are playing hard and actually trying to win 
with the players on the field each and every Sunday. That's what drives the bus in this. And that's why for seven hours last Sunday, almost a full day's work, there were 50 million people tuning in to view those games. That doesn't happen anywhere else over a seven, seven and a half hour period. So the NFL's got the market cornered. They got a, then that's why they're in hard spin mode, trying to curb off that narrative more than anything. And they'll double that Absolutely. viewership a week from Sunday, which is just yes, crazy. Sir. Bobby, appreciate you, man. You double our viewership as well. And uh, <laughs> we will, uh, we'll, we'll read your work this week in an outkick. Thanks. Hey, my pleasure, gentlemen. Enjoy, Thanks, hey, enjoy Los Angeles. Make sure you guys bring your mask. Get ready to go out there and try not to get in trouble. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll, we'll have it best. ready. We'll have it ready. Bobby Carpenter, follow him on Twitter at bcarp three uh, for more content just like that right there coming up some headlines including uh, an offensive coach on the move in the league plus what are the Saudis doing to threaten the PGA tour yeah you heard that right Mickelson DeChambeau and others that's next on Outkick 360 it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. The Saudis are coming for the PGA Tour. That's a real headline. Outkick 360 rolls on. They have uh, apparently offered Bryson DeChambeau top money to join their upstart tour. They have offered him, when I say uh, big-time money, $135 million to join their tour. This is the 135 would immediately pass every dollar that Tiger Woods has made on tour as a player, not in endorsements by any means, but on tour as a player with this one contract, Bryson DeChambeau would surpass Tiger Woods. Phil Mickelson is interested in this because of the greed involved with the PGA tour. There's a long story involved with this, but Phil Mickelson has to pay the PGA tour a million dollars for all of those one-on-one matchups, the match. He has to pay them a million dollars for the rights to show him hitting a golf ball. Um, and he says that's, that's way out of whack. Um, they own all digital rights for all the players. So any clips that hit social media, the PGA owns, not Phil Mickelson. And that's the whole reason why these guys are considering it because they can make a ton more money and they dictate the, the contract details of their future. Players have no digit no no reason to go along with any of the digital stuff. They can't have any control over, you know, uh Tiger couldn't have his famous, you know, putt that bends and falls into the hole. Uh, Nike, I'm sure, shells out the money to get him that. But I mean, they have to pay for every use of this stuff. I don't know why the PGA wouldn't be more um aggressive about reaching a partnership with their guys. So they would go into it. Mickelson was talking about a Netflix thing they have coming up Yes, where they've got guys mic'd up. And yeah. he says, why would guys want to be mic'd up? Like the they F1. get nothing. They get nothing out of being mic'd up. He said, if we did, I'd be mic'd up like crazy. I'd wear a mic on my uh, visor, my cap. 
I'd have a 360-degree camera on my bag. I'd have my caddy mic'd up. But there's no benefit to be had for it for me. Do you not see the irony, though, in Phil Mickelson using the term greedy when describing possibly taking $100 million from Saudi Arabia to go golf? Brooks Kepka said it best. I'd be careful throwing the word greedy around if I'm Phil Mickelson. Well, Kepka's been contacted as well. Knowing, Mickelson, knowing, says, knowing yeah, Phil Mickelson. Mickelson, well, Mickelson speaking, said the top 100 players in the world have all been contacted. He's speaking for, for so, golf in general. Look, and I, I'm not going to sit here and cry tears over the PGA Tour professionals. They are third-party contractors, technically. It's a little bit weird. It's not like you know if you play in the NFL or the NBA or Major League Baseball, you are a product of that league and you're an employee of that league. Uh, there's good and bad there. You know, there's not necessarily as many rules because you're not a paid employee of PGA. You're technically a third-party contractor as a pro golfer. Phil Mickelson has made more money than he or his family will ever, ever need. Yeah, he could make a he lot more. Made even more. Yes, but again, as a third-party contractor, that's the PGA's right to that, those digital properties. Yes, Phil Mickelson hit the shots. But that's just the way it goes with that. Now, I'm not begrudging Phil Mickelson taking $100 million from Saudi Arabia if he wants to go play in this, this tour or Bryson DeChambeau or Brooks Kepka or anyone that wants to do that. Look, it's America. It's capitalism. You go make as much money as you want. But the same goes for the PGA. They can make as much money as they want. And they could do these things. And, and they the, could still have a good product and this, do it. And they could make a lot of people multi-multi-millionaires the way they have for years in professional golf in America. Right, this is this no is different like, than a coach leaving or using another job for a bargaining chip moving yeah, forward on should, the next and deal. And they should bargain hard. But, Chad, you sound like somebody siding with the league over the player. And PGA is, is, is making more yeah, they don't get than a cut the players. Of their TV I'm rooting channel. for the players. I, I root for the player who's hitting then the good. shot I, to I'm make rooting, more money I'm off the shot I'm rooting for him to make as much league. as he wants. Go to Saudi Arabia. And play if you want to make $100 million. I'm just saying. Well, I'd rather him be here. Capitalism works both ways. Phil Mickelson has got no shortage of money. He is just fine. He's made a lot of money in endorsements also. The PGA has helped him make a lot of money. The PGA, fine. They can take money from that too also. They're both allowed to make as much money as they want. Go to Saudi Arabia. Have fun if well, you want. Golf it's, it's all about money. It's not, just in, in America. it's not just a tour in Saudi. It will be a global tour. Hendrick Stinson, Ian Poulter offered $30 million to join. DeChambeau, $135 million, And who knows what Phil's going to end up getting if he takes the plus deal. Plus prize money. Headlines will return. Plus Austin Price next on Outkick 360.